Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat, www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer, and I write for both PWCW and The Beat. And this week on More to Come, creator issues around the Watchmen prequels, awards, bonfires, fan pan, digital news, free comic book day, and, of course, the news briefs. So let's get right to it. Um, uh, yeah. Watchmen prequels. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> oh, well, I think and issues around I think it's really more our creator's rights issues. You know, but Calvin, you and I were joking the other day that if you wanted to have the ultimate headline for traffic on the web, it should just be Apple and Google team for yeah. digital Alan Moore. Yes. Because, you know, anything that has to do with Alan Moore, people are just, they can't get enough of it. It's just the controversy has erupted this week. Um, it kind of kicked off at the L.A. Book. Uh, the L.A. Times Book Festival yes. on Saturday when they actually held a Before Watchmen panel with D.C. co-publishers Dan DiDio and Jim Lee and also a press roundtable. And some hard questions were asked uh, at this press roundtable uh, in, uh, in regards to another incident that had just taken place, uh, which involved writer Chris Roberson. Yes. And, I don't know, Calvin, do you have you been Well, I, I will just chime in that, you, you know, you can also look on the publishersweekly.com slash comics page, and uh, we've got an excellent story up there by Shannon O'Leary. But, yes, but uh, apparently Chris Roberson, who works on, on Ferris. Uh, and the uh, creator of iZombie. Yes, and the creator of iZombie. Uh, basically uh, tweeted or made public his um, unhappiness or his revulsion uh, <laughs> at... DC's plan to do prequels in opposition to Alan Moore's will. Uh, and, um, well, DC took him up on his word. Uh, they done the deal, I think, at the, uh, according to our report, said, you know, he said he was unhappy working with DC, so we, um, you know, we just yeah, uh, gave him what he wanted. We gave him exactly gave what, him what he wanted. wanted. Uh, but, um, he's off the book, and, yeah. um, it, it's, it's clear that this decision, I mean, I, no one's taken account about who's on what side. There's clearly among the comics, comics punditry, it's fairly across the board uh, opposition uh, to the whole notion of before watching. Yeah, it's among the fans. It's I'm, it seems to be much more mixed. And among retailers, it's definitely all for it's Before all Watchmen, for which I understand. Because um, apparently the, the the order pre order numbers are are. Well, they 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 haven't uh, you know gone final yet, but they're raising them all the time. Yes, the more they see, the more they like, and more retailers like it anyway. Uh, so, and uh, you know, ICV two actually had an interesting piece this morning, which kind of tied together all of these all these threads of these stories uh, because it just you know like hundreds and hundreds of comments uh, up on the beat. I mean, I have almost three hundred comments on on two different separate stories, which is really unheard of. And, um, and some I, of this was driven also by David Brothers' uh, article. Well, uh, yeah, uh, but uh, I, looking at both before Watchmen and Avengers, but a lot and the Jack of, Kirby issue. But a lot of it, if you read Shannon's article on uh, our website, is also just driven by what Dan DiDio and Jim Lee said at the panel, you true, know, and uh, about before Watchmen. And you know, of course, I'm not gonna. Um, I mean, DC is going full pr- court press on this, and of course, they're going to, you know. So um, should I read a quote or two? Uh, uh, sure, from Jim Lee, sure, uh, Calvin. About, uh, um, the the situation with Watchmen and the historic uh, complaints of of Alan uh, about losing control of the book, uh, as uh, Jim Lee um, uh, put it, uh, quote: "This is not a situ- situation where we have taken things from Alan. He signed the contract, and yet he said that he didn't read the contract. 
I can't force him to read his contract. Well, you know, this is like, I, I compared it to, you know, in Narnia, they have like, you know, Aslan says there's deep magic from the dawn of time. And then there's deeper magic from before the dawn of time. <laughs> and, uh, or as we call it now, the internet. So if you go into deeper magic from before the dawn of the internet, there's actually quite a few interviews that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons had uh, in the Comics Journal, notably, uh, which is archived online. And people have been looking at quotes from all of this and bringing up memories from before the dawn of the time sort of era. And I, I, I wrote a substantial piece about this myself, but I think yeah, one of the piece, key the facts... Thank, thanks, Calvin. I, I, but I just think one of the key facts that people are not acknowledging with all of this, you know, cranky Alan Moore and hypocrite Alan Moore, is when he did Watchmen in the 80s, when he and Dave Gibbons did it, it really was as part of a stride forward for creators' rights. And, you know, I mean, they do have, um, you know, some copyright interest in Watchmen, and it was a contract that did have a reversion clause. Mm, yes. I mean, it was, so this was viewed yeah. very much as a, as a triumph back then. And as I pointed out in my piece, there was a time 12 years ago when Alan Moore was actually going to cooperate with DC for these, uh, Watchmen's 15th anniversary, and then some things happened that, you know, he was told some things that did not come true, and that's what pissed him off. So, I mean, there's a lot of history that people have not been looking at. And, and as you have pointed out, actually many times, including on this podcast, up until the point where where Watchmen became a book, no comics had gone into the, a book collection and stayed in print. Right. And, but Calvin, isn't it very standard to have a reversion absolutely. clause? Oh, well, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, it's That's not like... standard practice. Right. And it's standard practice for an author to say, uh, you know, it is not standard practice for an author to wake up one morning and say, oh, crap, I don't like you, publisher, I'm pulling my book. I mean, there yeah. has to be certain things that happen in order for a book to, to revert. Yeah, books, <laughs> books only revert if they don't sell. Right. If books sell, and particularly if they sell a lot, they never revert back. So, so can you think of other situations like this where a publisher or a creator of a bestseller for you know twenty years is so pissed off at their publisher? Well, I'm sure there are, there are authors that are pissed off at their publishers. I don't know of any, even if they're selling well. I can't say that I know of any any books of the stature. The literary stature of uh, watch uh, that would be willingly reverted back to the author right, by right, the publisher. Right. Well, but no one knew that at the time. Yeah. And, I mean, on one side, I can kind of see, obviously, uh, Alan's point is that they anticipated the book going out of print. I mean, that's generally what happens to how a book gets reverted back. It, you, the sales creep to a point where they're of no point to anyone. And... You can get, you know, they, they, the, the publisher writes a letter of reversion and, and, and gives the rights back to the author. But, once again, that's generally about a book not selling. <laughs> that's not a problem that Watchmen has ever had. But on the other hand, something's happening here that does not usually happen with a book that remains in print is that probably due to the differences between the comic market and the book market and also just, I'm sure the rights contract was different than with regular books, that, you know, now you've got basically author-unauthorized sequels that the publisher can bring out right. because yeah, no, the rights did not that's revert. That's dramatically so different from generally in the situation. Book it's not right. like if a Tom Clancy novel doesn't go out of print. I mean, Tom Clancy may be grumpy and wish he could get a better deal with a different publisher. And he goes but, off and does it, and, you know. But, yeah. I mean, I mean, for that particular book. Yeah. But uh, if it doesn't revert. But nobody's going to put out a book, like, based on his characters without... Yeah. You're not going to... I mean, nobody's going to take, you know, a Salomon Rusty novel, you know, and say... 
great, you know, you're getting your royalties, but we're going to do a series of novellas about the main characters <laughs> in the book. Yeah, and, and, but you, you don't even have to write them. We'll take care of all that. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, it doesn't happen. Uh, but only that, in comics, only, folks. Well, only I, I've in said it before. Comics. In that instance, it's truly only in comics yeah. because I'm sure his contract had a little bit of different language in it when it comes yeah. to derivative works. Well, you know, I, 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 I think we've hashed over the Alan Moore situation yeah. quite a bit. I mean, uh, the, the Chris Roberson had a very interesting interview on uh, the Comics Journal website, and he pointed out some kind of. I don't know, odd things about DC. I mean, he's saying about how DC makes everybody sign an NDA now to work on a comic, which I, I mean, I understand from today's point of view, but boy, that's quite a, uh, you know, that's quite an evolution, let's put it that way. Um, and also that, uh, and I had noticed this myself as well, that if you go on Amazon or the DC website and you look at the credits, some of the people are credited as... You know, I, I can't think of the specific examples, but instead of it being like, uh, well, well, Roberson gave his own example. His real name is John. So instead of it being Chris Roberson, which is the name that we all know him by, it would be John C. Roberson, which is his legal name that is on contracts. So basically, they're taking the credits from the contracts. And again, I guess I kind of understand that, but you know, it's just kind of an increasing corporatization. I can understand you having the correct name on the contract, but I'm not sure what that has to do with it. Right, that's not how, that's not how writers website. and artists are marketed. They're marketed under whatever name they use. Yeah, why? and, and it's not, it doesn't even make good business sense. Well, well I noticed sense. a few things like that, actually, <laughs> while I was looking up some things also, where it would have the name, and it would be like, you know, a set of, you know, Bill so-and-so is like William X so-and-so, and I was like, oh, well, was that a new name? But anyway, I, you know, he, he's uh, said... Kind of pointing out, there's a not only sort of some ethical issues about Watchmen that that he did not like before Watchmen, ethical issues about before Watchmen he did not like, but just that the uh, atmosphere in general was something that he did not feel comfortable with, and um, you know certainly more people do feel comfortable working with it. Uh, I, I will say, Chris, as someone I've known for quite a while, you know when I first met him, he had his own publishing company and he ran a a author's um, collective in Austin and. Um, you know, he's a very accomplished and smart guy. And uh, I do think he's kind of someone who can say F you to the big publishers because he's already done other things, you know? There's a lot of comics writers who don't have that and, uh, you know, comics creators, not just writers. And, you know, Marvel and DC definitely pay the best. And uh, so a lot of people can't, can't get off that payroll. And um, a lot of people don't want to. A lot of people are having a great time. But I, I, my own personal wishes, I just, just hope there's more options so that people who aren't comfortable working in that kind of uh, corporate milieu can find other things to do because there are other things. On that note, um, let's, let's look at uh, the, the awards landscape. Um, a bunch of uh, big uh, literary awards uh, awarded to graphic novels in the past week. Among them, Alison Bechtel winning a Guggenheim Fellowship. Um, Carlos Pete McNeil's Finder being awarded the L.A. Times uh, um, Graphic, graphic Book, Book Prize. Uh, Joe Sacco winning an, uh, a biennial uh, Graphic Literature Award uh, uh, as part of the Oregon Book Awards. And Anders Nielsen's Big Questions uh, was awarded the Lynn Ward uh, Graphic uh, Literature Award or Graphic Book Prize. Also, um, Lynn Ward, of course, being the... Uh, the great American uh, wordless graphic novel creators. And uh, those are all awesome, awesome wins for awesome, awesome books yes, and yes. creators. And uh, and we should add, um, every one of those books uh, is a PW 
best book. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. We are yes, just right on that. Uh, you know? We're a little bit ahead of the game. Maybe they should just come to us and ask yes. us which books well, they should give I their feel, awards to. Uh, yes, I feel our forecast books that we've chosen yes. have also fared very well. So, you know, go us. Somebody, yes, you know, yes. Nobody's going to give us a pat yes. on the back. We Congrats will. to the cartoonists. Uh, and, you know, a little pat on the back for us as well. I actually know what we're doing, people. Yes. We swear. Uh, <laughs> um, I, would, I would like to note a, a, a couple, though. Uh, Carla Speed McNeil's Finder Voice sure. winning the yeah. L.A. Times. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, she was up against some really awesome books Ooh, uh, like Jim Woodring and Joe Lambert. And the previous winners, I think, uh, didn't Duncan the Wonder Dog win? And, um, uh, or Asterios yes. Pollock. Yes, yes, yes Asterios Pollock won. And actually, I think, I think it wasn't either... Sago's book was even nominated... Yeah, I think it was nominated for the yes. like, Times Book Prize yes. at one time. Yes. I could be wrong about that, but yeah, I think... but I mean, it's a very distinguished, co- uh, distinguished company. Uh, yeah, and one thing which I believe you were mentioning earlier, perhaps on your blog, perhaps in person, I can't remember which, is that it's sort of unusual that this particular book was was chosen because it's not the finder is not worthy; it's eminently worthy. Yeah, but it is very much uh, a genre comic. Yes. It is pure science fiction. It is not. You know, sort of an arty self memoir uh, metaphor thing. Yeah, it's, it's naturalistic it's, literary fiction, but it is very naturalistic yes. for, uh, oh, in yeah. many ways. It's, it's a, it's you know, it's very literary science oh, fiction, without a doubt, and it's it's of amazing quality. But it is not necessarily as pitched to the indie hits. We don't actually like most comics crowd. It <laughs> yeah. is like a comic comic book people. Uh, it is, but I, I mean, I hope that some people will uh, kind of open their eyes a little bit to Carla's work, because she's, she's like, I mean, I think it's kind of like, you know, I mean, Doris Lessing or Margaret Atwood, she's right? She's an under-recognized science, science fiction. master. She really is, and she's like, you know, self-published for so long, and I, I, I think that that's also kind of a reason why, why uh, you know, she's kind of just out there on her on her own being Carla. Which is great, but uh, anyway, that was a really, really, oh, really nice to well see her because she's been at it. Yeah, to a more talented and nicer person. And, and I, you know, well, that was I hope it helps her sales. I, yeah. I hope so too. I hope it really opens some doors for her. But um, I would also like to just note with Alison Bechdel getting the Guggenheim Fellowship, and you know, a few cartoonists have gotten those mm, before. Yes. Uh, I think Chris Ware got one. I do believe Chris Ware I think got he got one. one. I'm pretty sure Art got one. Yes, Art yeah. Spiegelman definitely got one. Um, and you know, Alison Bechtel's book, uh, Are You My Mother, is just coming out. Yes, and, yes. um, w- this week, which is yes. her follow up to her bestseller, Smash, mm-hmm. um, a previous, uh, book. Fun and, Home. From, Fun Home. And she also had a nice profile in The New Yorker. And, uh, which again, you know, a few cartoonists have. But I, yeah. I really, um, this is probably the subject of a future blog post rant, but you know, can we really? There were a few years ago they asked that question: Why have there been no great women cartoonists? And I think can we could shut up say about that now. I know, but I just want to say, like, you know, if anybody ever says it again, I'm just going to shove Alison Bechdel, <laughs> you know, wherever it fits. With a hard right? cover of <laughs> yeah, we're going to hit you, and, and show you. <laughs> you know, and and again, Alison Bechdel is someone who's been working since the '80s and was completely ignored, completely ignored by the comics 
establishment. And Might I just throw in that PW was writing articles about her during those years? Yes, thank that's, you so much. That's which she was right. published that's, by Firebrand Press. That's right. That's yes, right. Don't, PW was a plug for Publishers Weekly. A little bit there. ahead of the curve again. <laughs> you know, she had never even been to a comics convention until um, you know a few years ago. So uh, you know, maybe uh, again, it's, it's nice to see outsiders recognized and triumph and, 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 and with some, quality. And then sometimes next year when. Are You My Mother has won a, a whole bunch of literary awards. We'll bring this whole thing up again. Uh, also, really, uh, really an extraordinary new book uh, by Bechtel on the way. Yeah. Yeah, so. she's great. She's great. So, anyway. Great. So. On to, uh, speaking of what people like, um, a new initiative raised, yes. uh, this announced this week, which has been in the works for a while. It's called mm-hmm. Fan Pan. Uh, it's one of Bonf- the Bonfire Agency's uh, programs, which is their hope to get like, a 500-member fan uh, kind of tasting committee together that they could then uh, use as a focus group for uh, different projects and products that people might want to run by this fan pan. And, and I do believe people are trying, they're, they're opening it up to, you know, possible contenders. So, uh, yeah. hey, out mm-hmm. there, if you want to spend a lot of time and, and, and stuff people are paid for, for for their expertise, and uh, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, yeah. yes. And um, so, uh, yeah, you could sign up. Uh, there's uh, ads and sign-up sheets going out all over the web. Um, but, I, you know, I think this is a great thing. And the Bonfire Agency has announced a lot of very smart uh, programs, uh, some of which they've been able to implement. Uh, they're putting together an ad network for uh, publishers, kind of mid-level publishers. And, uh, you know, I always say you need, I mean, focus groups are quite rightly reviled among people who know what they're doing. But when you don't know what you're doing, sometimes a focus group is very, very useful. So uh, this could be very uh, helpful yeah. to some people. A, fan, a focus group is irritating if you're trying to make artistic decisions. But if you're already making corporate decisions based on business thought about what you think people are buying anyway, <laughs> you know, you might as well put a little money in and do the research and figure out what's actually selling, if selling is what you want. Exactly. Exactly. So. All right. So, um, uh, great. So, uh, should we move on to the next item on the list? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, more digital announcements, um, including a, a really interesting um, um, venture um, between um, uh, Iverse, the, the digital the digital comics vin- vendor, and the library market. Basically, they, they've started uh, a new part of their Comics Plus uh, digital comics line called Library Edition. And very interesting um, uh, venture to put out here at a time when publishers in the prose world, publishers and libraries are basically in conflict right now um, over, over lending ebooks. Uh, this new program, uh, Iverse Libraries, um, I, I, Iverse's Comics Plus Library Edition, uh, it's basically a way for libraries to lend digital comics. Uh, and it's the, the business model is, is different from the usual ebook lending business model in that it's a, um, it's priced per checkout. Uh, the libraries are, you can, the libraries can set up any kind of automatic budget for what they want. They, uh, they have a listing of about 10,000 comics. There'll be free comics as part of the list as well. But basically, when a patron checks out a digital comic, that's when the library is charged. No more, no less. Uh, they can, people can check out as many as they want. One of the things that continues to bug librarians uh, and normal people is that in the, in the prose world, if you try to borrow a digital library, dig, libraries buy a certain number of, of ebooks, believe this or not. And if they get five ebooks of a certain title and 
five people have checked them out, they have to, you have to wait until those live books, those library books have been returned or right. they're usually right. what, what they right. do in the library is that they're, they're, they, they expire and then the books dissolve from your, uh, right. you know, from your hard drive. Uh, and then they reappear again, obviously at the library. But of course, anyone in digital media knows it's insane. Uh, you, there's no, Length, you can, you should be able to lend out as many copies as people want. It's not right. a Star Trek transporter. <laughs> exactly. But this is a curb that publishers insist on because basically most book publishers believe, whether they want to say it or not, that, uh, librarians are somehow or other stealing sales from them. Right. The people are somehow or other borrowing books instead of buying books. Now, librarians have all kinds of the data and statistics to show that exact, the exact opposite happens, that actually using libraries and sampling books at libraries actually sends people out to buy more books, as well as to borrow books. Uh, and we, we, and in the digital era now, we, in, we, it's really become full-out war. Um, you know, of the big six New York publishers, I think only three of them actually will even sell ebooks to libraries, uh, to Lynn. Um, uh, Penguin and SNS won't won't sell them at all, and Random House raised its prices three hundred percent. Wow! So they they brag that they continue to loan uh, sell books to libraries to lend out, but it's going to cost a pretty penny. So this really is a very innovative. program. This is a revolutionary program in many ways, and I'm wondering if in fact there because there is a big debate going on. The libraries are saying, okay, if maybe the ebook world has changed the nature of how we have to acquire books to lend out. Maybe we should try other business models. Um, HarperCollins uh, instituted a an arbitrary limit of twenty six returns. When an ebook has been checked out twenty six times, the library has to buy a new right, license right, right. for a new twenty six. So, so this would completely circumvent that. This would completely circumvent it because first of all, you're only charged if you you uh, how many you check out, and they immediately it's a cloud service. And since, and since you, you only pay whenever someone takes one but something the, out, so you don't, somebody, there's somebody no you arbitrary, yeah, there's but, no um, arbitrary restriction but, on how uh, many can be a couple, of ob- a couple of observations on that. Yeah. First, it's just, it's not the, the patron who's charged. It's the no, no, it's the library's charge. charge. But, I mean, I think it's very interesting that Iverse has come up with this because, yeah. you know, we've already seen graphically another digital comics, yes. uh, web front, web store, whatever, decide they're not going to sell comics as apps yeah. anymore and they're going to concentrate on authoring tools. You know, Obviously, Iverse is now looking at another, this new business model. And, I mean, this all points, of course, to the fact that Comixology is really becoming very strong. You know, they are the diamond of digital comics right now. And although Amazon and Google have their own, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, efforts as well. But, uh, you know, we see these these players, you know, when they got Mm -hmm. into it, and they're all, you know, thinking outside the box, which is very exciting. Well, and it's interesting, in the, I mean, according to, to the Iverse materials, I mean, uh, and I hadn't seen a hard figure on this, so, you know, we can do it for you. So, how accurate it is, uh, they consider the library market to be about 10% of the U.S. graphic novel market. So, I mean, you can decide for you yourself. Clearly, 10% though, is significant. Steve, this is incredibly significant, and, it, and it's growing, but clearly, you, we all know that libraries have had an enormous impact on the market. Uh, they've changed completely on how they deal with comics uh, over the last 10, 15 years. It, it's one of the fastest-growing categories uh, in libraries, and it really drives circulation through the roof. So uh, I think this is a really interesting program that, in fact, I think maybe the pros book world could take a few tips from. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and by the only way, in comics. And it brings in new readers. And, br- and it brings yeah, in new readers. Absolutely. Exactly. People and, who otherwise would never sit for And as I said before, there's, a, there's an enormous amount of data that libraries are collecting these days that talks about how sampling and using library catalogs really sends people to bookstores as well. 
Well, no, so, this is all great, 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 um, great material yeah. for and, when we cover the library. Absolutely. And you know, we might want to throw in here that the, uh, the I think the Iverse marketing director is Josh Elder. Yes, that's I, right. A comics that's creator right. himself yes. uh, and uh, uh, literacy advocate. And literacy and advocate. He, he's got a lot, lot of. He's involved in a lot yes. of uh, great programs. So I mean, there's tons of digital news this week. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to run quickly. I just yes, look sure. at some of the stuff. Okay, DC. Uh, launched a DC Nation app and a physical magazine, but the app is going to make uh, kids all for ages uh, comics available for 99 cents. And, uh, you know, this is a great way to just, you know, the babysitter, the tablet is babysitter. Um, great way for kids to get introduced to the ca- characters. Um, a great way for parents to make it easy for their yes. kids to pick which comics they want. While still remaining appropriate. Yes. Um, uh, DC has announced some new digital comics that they're going to be doing all new digital. Uh, so they're doing a Batman comic with artists such as Ben Tumblesmith. They're also doing one based on their uh, Amakomi line of uh, provocative statues. Anime girls. So, anime. Yeah, basically, <laughs> they're doing a line of comics, well, it, digital comics, about um, these DC superheroes. They superheroines if they were scantily clad anime girls. But wearing you know they have shown some of the art, and they're not as bad as the st- well. The statues are not as bad as the statues. Yeah. Not, as bad as the statues. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> not a very high standard, but I'll take it. I'll take well, it. I you well, know I think my DC digital comics. Uh, Purchase title list just went up one title. Uh, there you go. Well, there you are. Now, <laughs> hey, you know. um, let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking through my email because I know there's tons. Uh, oh, Viz Media uh, created Viz Labs. They have their oh, own yes, little yes, digital. Yes, and hired a, um, a, um, a media partner. Yes. yes, to to run it. Uh, they, he's he's been the. Uh, he's been working with them actually um, over the few years at another company, and it was apparently instrumental in putting together their, pla- their right, digital platform. Right. Uh, <clears throat> yes, I should write about some of these. Let me see. Dark Horse. Well, they celebrate the first year of their digital, uh, their digital comics program. Um, let me see. What else? Uh, Archie is doing new digital storefront. They oh, launched right. their whole they, digital they storefront. Digital Marvel store. also launched a digital storefront this week. Um, let me see. Uh, what else? It doesn't work here? very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tank girls becoming available. I think we just reviewed it. Yeah. Yes, there you go. I mean, it was very easy to purchase comics on it. It was very hard, once you had purchased the comic, to actually read the comic because you got a little... Maybe they just weren't expecting to have as much use. Maybe everybody was buying Marvel comics and they didn't have enough server load. I don't know. But when I would try to like read the comic half the time, there would just be a little screen say, Marvel, with a little status bar. Which was completely empty, and I couldn't read the comic that I paid for. So, well, uh, you know, uh, there's some bumps on the digital road. Anyway, those are just quick headlines um, that are, uh, you know, just uh, floating around in the ether. So, uh, that's this digital wrap up, and um, we also have Free Comic Book Day coming right up. Free Comic Book Day this year has record orders. Diamond reports 3.5 million Free Comic Book Day comics have been ordered by retailers this year, which is up from $2.7 million last year. That's a 23% interest in comics purchase for free comic book. Wow, day. yeah, it's, it's huge. And um, I don't know... Uh, for, for, for our listeners who for may not listeners know the background... For may not know what free yeah. comic book day is, allow us to explain the last several years... What? How long? How many comic book Five days? Five years? Six years? Uh, no, it's ten years. It's in oh, its 11th years. year. Oh, yeah. 11th year. The comic book industry in the United States has gotten together to promote comics one day a year with Free Comic Book Day, where a variety of publishers are offering special, low-cost comics. Very specific ones. It's not just any comic. They're specially made for Free Comic Book Day to be yeah, easy. All, it's original. All original content. All original content. 
Um, very easy for people to just picking it up to try it and learn about it. And Publishers seem to be using it to sort of launch new material too. It's very yeah. Awesome. It's a way of promoting upcoming yeah. things. Mm-hmm. It's a way of promoting their new big books. Mm-hmm. And about half of them are aimed at children and are aimed at you know really bringing in a new market yeah. for comics. And um, it's very popular. You know, you see a giant line outside the comic book store. People yeah. with their kids. It's it's a fun night out. Yeah. Uh, I think retailers night. pay a small fee. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe it's small. <laughs> to get Relatively the small, yeah. and then they, you know, and then they just give them out to all comers. Right. Yeah, and it's a um, great event. They've been doing this actually in coordination with Marvel scheduling wise because it always comes out the same weekend that the year's big Marvel movie comes it out. Seem to be no, 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 they do that on purpose. I, I know because I have yeah. frequently <laughs> organized expeditions with my friends to see the new Marvel movie and go to Free Comic Book Day. Yeah. And so it's coming out the day after the Avengers. So you can see a matinee of the Avengers and uh, go pick up your free comic. Yeah. Uh, well, then, just one other thing about uh, Free Comic Day is uh, Arkea made some waves yes. uh, because they did a hard Very cover special. giveaway. Whoa. And it, it cost them a bit more than the traditional um, mm. pamphlet, but uh, they are still giving it away for the same, or you know, selling it for the same amount. And it's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, it has Mouse yeah. Guard in it, oh, uh, Cursed Pirate Girl. Um, yeah, really up the ante. Yeah, so. the only thing is, like, I can't imagine that anyone will be able to get their hands on it because it'll probably be such an amazing. I have one, popular. but you know, you have one, I but know. you got a review. I copy. did. I did get a review be. copy. Yes, I did. So anyway, <laughs> well, speaking of which, uh, we also have some news briefs with Kate. We do indeed. And, oh, by the way, uh, that's the first Saturday in May. That is indeed the first Saturday in May. Free comic book day. There you go. News yes. brief. Roger Langridge's critically acclaimed Muppet comic which he created for Boom Comics and then ceased when Marvel got the license, left a four-part story arc completed but in publishing limbo because they just didn't have the rights to print Muppet Comics anymore. And now the lost Roger Langridge Muppet comic arc has come out of limbo and will be published by Marvel beginning this July. Interestingly, Language only found this out when he read about it on the internet. But if you want a great Muppet comic, there's one on your horizon. Reading with Pictures, the nonprofit which promoted the use of comics in the classroom and successfully solicited an anthology earlier on Kickstarter, is now back on Kickstarter uh, soliciting funds for a graphic novel textbook. Well, it's called the Graphic Textbook. The Graphic Textbook, yeah. but it is a textbook in yeah. graphic novel form. Yes, absolutely. Um, Twelve nonfiction short stories about a variety of nonfiction educational topics suitable for grades 3 through 12, uh, including creators Ben Caldwell, Fred Valente, Ryan Denlevy, Amy Reader, and Roger Langridge, among many others. This is another Josh Elder project, yes. by the yes. way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I believe he's contributing a comic yes. to it, too. Yes. Uh, and uh, the book also includes, like, lesson, uh, uh, lesson plans for each story, um, uh, there's other resources in it, uh, and, and I think it's been put together with uh, educational consultants to make sure that it really yes. hones into whatever the standard curriculum is. So, bring uh, more pictures. And the Superman's right, the Superman rights check, the one, the faithful check that was signed off those many years ago, uh, which gave away all rights to Superman to DC Comics, thus starting a legal epic on the scale of Jarndus versus Jarndus, has been sold at auction for $160,000, which is considerably more than anyone ever got 
for those comics. You could even call this a super check. I know. It is. It is. It is sold to an undisclosed buyer. Uh, no one is really sure what happened to it. PhD Comics has become indie film. Jorge Cham's webcomic, Piled Higher and Deeper, a.k.a. PhD Comics, has been adapted into a feature-length independent film. And it has just finished a tour of college campuses across the country and is now available for digital purchase and streaming online. And it's a comedy about the exploits of four hapless graduate students attempting to get PhDs, and it was filmed at Caltech, on the Caltech campus, in collaboration with a campus theater group. And it's full of attractive people. I looked at the, uh, <laughs> I looked at the trailer. And according to the trailers, it's also very funny. Yeah. So, and I mean... Well, my, and I actually have a, a, a niece who is a PhD candidate who loves PhD comics. So well, she'll be really thrilled a, a natural, to hear this. <laughs> it's a natural combo, which yeah. I, I hope to see more of in the future, between indie web comics and indie film. Because right. Just because your comic is not going to attract a giant $40 million motion picture deal doesn't mean that maybe it's not suited to the screen. Right. That's right. Um, speaking of webcomics going to the screen, the webcomic Axe Cop, uh, <laughs> created uh, <I> <laughs> by Ethan Nicole and his seven-year-old brother Malachi, um, and which comes out in graphic novel form from Dark Horse as well, has now been optioned for an animated series from Fox... Uh, from Adult Swim veteran Nick Wiedenfeld. Yeah, so. and uh, actually, that is a that's a um, uh, nice spot for them to be in because I think they've given it a green light, and Fox is launching its own kind of animation block. So that's you know good for Axe yeah, Cop. Um, so he will be the envy kind of, of all the other seven year olds. Absolutely, kind of kind of blown up over the it last few really years. Really has, but it's, 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 that's because it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, you know, it it's imaginative <laughs> and creative, and um, you know that's what people Great. enjoy sometimes. So. Well, speaking of indie comics, we have one last yeah. interesting news brief. Kind of Shia LaBeouf has come out with an indie comic, self-published, self-drawn, called Cyclical, which he says is not a get-rich-quick thing, <laughs> and derides comics by celebrities slash wrestlers slash race car drivers. He says it's not like that. He's He has created it from the heart. And it certainly is a low production value. Yeah. Well, um, it's, uh, it's you an know, book. Yeah. He, oh, well, I talked to him about this at C2E2, really? actually. And, oh, cool. uh, you know, he was just, he made a whole point of just that he just wanted to go to Artist Alley and sit there and uh, sign comics. And, um, you know, they handled it very well. Uh, their, you know, word quickly got out and a line of people uh, was, uh, you know, congregated, but they kept it under control. And uh, it turned out to be just kind of a real fun thing, I think. And uh, he seemed to enjoy it. I, I mean, I think it's certainly a quirky, it's very yeah. quirky. I, I kind of called it out, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, outsider. X at the end. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's outsider art. I mean, it's, well, it's, I would, it's, there's know, a lot of stuff going on it, in it, but it's very in some ways, uh, unconventional. Yeah, in some ways, I mean, the drawings that I've seen, you know, online, uh, you know, it, it could pass really for the kind of work you see in contemporary art in cases. I've seen drawings in shows um, uh, around New York that would be in, in the same vein. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so um, you know. it's an interesting, different venue right. to, to approach it with for this kind of art. That said, uh, it's impressive that this guy... I think he seemed very... <laughs> and, and from talking to he him... He didn't just take a, the easy route. He didn't. No, he didn't. And he's yeah. very he sincere. Had yeah. to him. It yeah. was definitely not a... thing, and he put it out there. And, you know, 
And you could tell him to his face what you thought of it. And it wasn't really a, it wasn't a publicity stunt. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was a sincere effort to just get out there and, and, um, you know, do some comics. So, uh, yeah. you know, good for him. I, I'm, you know, welcome, as I, as I put it, welcome to our, you know, under, uncarpeted, underfunded world. Yes. If you want to be with us, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's comics, people. Only in comics. Yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard, Gia. <laughs> well, I guess there's always more to come. Yep. See you next episode. Yeah.